One, two, three, four. Three. It always reminds me of the Monty Python. Thou shalt not count to five. What does he say? Thou shalt count to three. Uh, thou shalt count to two, and then thou shalt proceed to three. Not four. Three. And then it's like the Holy Hand Grenade book, right? We were in Arizona right now, but we got here from Utah. So we entered Utah, which meant we changed to the mountain time zone. Fair enough. We move forward an hour. Mm-hmm. But Arizona doesn't respect daylight saving time. What? So we were, yeah, we were going back and forth between the border of Utah, the northern border between Arizona and Utah. And like every time my phone would switch cell towers to one in a different state, it would do the time zone up as it's supposed to do. <laughs> but since Arizona doesn't use DST, I, I was con- I I just have no idea. I've had no idea what time it is for like the last three days. It's incredibly confusing. I'm just I'm just off. And to make it even more confusing, we as you're driving through parts of Arizona, if you're anywhere um, near the Navajo Nation, they actually do use DST. So parts of Arizona don't respect it. Parts of Arizona do, and then Utah does respect it, but is in a different time zone than I was used to. And so it's like we switch time zones, but we haven't actually switched times in Arizona because they're not using daylight saving time. So it's, it's just it's baffling, man. So I, I so my phone right now says twelve thirty two, and my laptop says one thirty two. Right, that's what I was going to ask. Was how long does it take for that stuff to update? Oh my god, <laughs> it just never seems to be in sync. It's like one will switch, and then the other one will switch. It, it's just it's. So I think it's actually I, I'm I'm basically still just using California time, and I'm pretty sure it's twelve thirty. Uh yes. That's what time it is currently. Well, now I've located myself in space and time. We can You're going to have to get out of there. You can't, that's, uh, what does Merlin's call it? His, his OPSEC? You can't, um, you can't, uh, what does he always say it? He's always very careful when he's talking to John or the, um, the other crew, his other podcast, Mask Temptation and Alex Cox. He's always very careful about not disrupting their OPSEC. So he'll be like, well, you can't. You know, I, don't, I, don't blame, I don't blame him for that I at all. I think, that's, I think that's entirely reasonable. But uh, we're going to be hanging out around the south side of the Grand Canyon uh, in the Kaibab National Forest for the next couple of days. If anybody uh, hears this and wants to come hang out, come hang out. Hit me up on uh, probably, probably email or something because I don't really check Twitter anymore. Yeah, I thought about. My OPSEC's fine. <laughs> I fed I fed a squirrel once at the Grand Canyon. That's I think the only time ever like a wild squirrel has come up to me and taken food out of my hand. That's awesome, man. The Grand Canyon it it is crazy. I've only I've only seen it once before, like I guess like eleven years ago. Um, and I you know I thought it was beautiful and all that, but I was I was a kid. I I, I don't know. I, I feel like I had a bit less context. But driving through again yesterday it was was ridiculous, and it was made even more ridiculous because right before we got into the park, there was one last spot where I was able to pull over at one of these Vista points and I was able to fly the drone into one of these big canyons because we weren't quite in the national park yet. So I was like, it was not restricted airspace mm-hmm. and I was just flying it down into this thing and it just kept going down and down and down. I'm watching it go down and down and down. And then I start booking it through the, through the canyon. I'm watching it and it looks like it's barely moving, but I'm doing 30 miles yeah. an hour. And that gave me like a really weird sense of the scale. These things are unworldly huge. Yeah. It, uh, I always thought it looked the like booking a... booking at 30 miles an hour, and it looks like the camera's just sitting still. I always thought it looked like a painting when you're kind of standing there at the edge and looking at it. Because yeah. it's... The air turns blue, right? It's like any looking at anything that's massive at a distance. It kind of looks like a painting. Uh, 
Yeah, it's pretty pretty wild. It's uh, I was super tired last time I was there too. So I just remember kind of getting out, feeding the squirrel um, that was there, and then looking around for a bit and just being like, I'm going to go back to bed. And I went back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were only there for for one day? Well, I, we were like on our way by. Like I was in a bus. Oh, just passing yeah. through. Yeah, so sure, sure, sure. People yeah, were like, oh, we're going to stop. Makes sense. And so we stopped, and then I was like, I'm going back to sleep. <clears throat> um, but to be fair, if I also remember correctly, I was sick around that time. There's been like there was like a couple. I've only gotten sick on tour like a couple of times, and that was one of them. And it was terrible because that at that time I was playing, I was contracting, and so the person I was contracting for was like, well, "I don't care if you're sick. You got to perform. You got to play. You got to play." And I was like, "I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna die in here." I was like, had my throat was like swollen, and uh, this was actually one of the worst, the worst times I think uh, I've never like passed out. But I remember playing. And we had in-ear monitors, so I had these molded these these headphones, like these monitors that are molded to my ears. So they go inside of your head, basically, and uh, it it blocks out all the noise outside. So you really what you hear is like a true kind of like tone that's coming through the mix. So if you're sending extra drums, it's like it's like an earplug plus a headphone. Exactly. Yeah. So I was having these in, and I don't know if I had like a sinus infection or what, but it like put me out. So I remember like finishing the set. And I remember going into the bathroom and just kind of like sitting on the floor. And then I remember being like nudged by like an off-duty fireman or whatever. I, don't, I think it was like a fireman or like a EMT or someone who's like, you okay? <laughs> and so they they helped me like get up off the floor and took me into uh, this room and they fed me like crackers and some water and stuff. Jeez, man, that is not, that's not healthy. Yeah. And so I really wish I could go back and see the Grand Canyon because it was kind of eclipsed by all that crappiness, but it seems cool. It just seems fake. It's almost too big to look at. Yeah, it's really it's really weird. It, I don't know. Driving through it though is interesting. Driving through the park, they have all these picnic spots, but none of them actually have views of the Grand Canyon. And then like a couple hundred yards up the road, there will be a, a pullout with a view of the Grand Canyon. It's like, why didn't you just put the picnic spot? You would think, who designed this? <laughs> sure, it's very strange. Sure, that's what I liked a lot about Iceland was that you could be driving. Uh, and there would just be all these different kind of like little. There'd just be like a pullout with a little parking spot and uh, there'd be like a few picnic tables there. Like just the whole, you know, there was never just like a super long stretch of road where I was anyway, where there was just no place to stop. So there was like all these different, I don't want to call them Vista points because they weren't all Vista points, but there were just lots of different places where you could pull over. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. There's actually quite a few of those in the United States as well. Like we haven't really had any issue. We, we've stayed at a couple RV parks and, and paid campgrounds and stuff and like, like national parks mm-hmm. or whatever. But for the most part, we've actually stayed at free sites. We're, we're at a free site right now. It's just on forest service land. Um, and they're, they're really abundant. They're kind of all over you. You can travel a lot of the country without actually needing to pay for lodging, which is, yeah, I think really, that's cool. what we did when we moved to Vermont. We, we found all the free spots that we could along the way. I mean, it was kind of harder in the, in the middle of the country. Cause again, it was, uh, actually Brady, furniture Brady messaged me about my, ca- my Kansas camping, uh, experience. Cause he was like, it's pretty much true. Uh, but like in the middle of the country, there's more like RV parks and kind of like artificial ish sure. places, but certainly in the area that you're at, uh, and we, we drove around Yellowstone when we came out. So there are a lot, there are quite a few, uh, places and we tried to basically spend as little as we could, um, driving out and it was mm-hmm. cool. I mean, there was a couple of experiences that were, um, kind of your quintessential camping experiences where you're like getting bit up by mosquitoes and you're having to like trudge through 
mud and uh, it's backaways. Because there was one outside of Yellowstone, all of the paid stuff was booked up for whatever reason. And so we kind of like, because we were looking around for free stuff, but there weren't really any near us. And it was kind of getting later. And all the, the free ones were booked up. And so the we stopped at one of the gates into a park and we asked and she's like, well, if you drive over this way for a little while and take this back road, you'll come up on one that people kind of camp at sometimes. And so we ended up driving for 20 minutes into the sticks. I mean, we were already in the woods, but this was like not park woods. This was unmaintained uh, style, like gravel road. Like a, like a fire road. Yeah, like a fire thing. road. Yeah, that, that's exactly what we're on yeah. right now. I mean, it was a cool, it ended up being a cool night after like the mosquitoes went away and all that stuff. But it was, it was an interesting trek it's, getting there. Yeah, yeah. It's part of the journey though. Uh, this is a fire road three three thirty eight, I think. OPSEC. OPSEC. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's cool though. It's really cool that, you know, you're able to do that. Like find all these places to kind of just hang out and enjoy so it's interesting it actually does take a bit of of effort but there's so many resources for it uh one of the big ones that we've been using is this app i think they have a website too but it's it's a pretty decent app called campendium um and it's it's kind of just like yelp but with campsites and they'll have dump sites for rvs and just parking lots where you're allowed to park overnight and all all that and it's all categorized and you have reviews and pictures and stuff it's really super good and then Charlene is actually, as we're going along and doing this, we have a custom Google map set up and she's tracking like places that look like they'd be good to stop and places that we actually have stopped at and di- different restaurants that we want to try. So we have like all these layers in this Google map that then we can just load on our phones and see all of our specific points of interest around us, not just what Google has or not just what Campandium has, but like what almost like our personal trip yeah. itinerary. Our itinerary. That's pretty cool directly in Google in the Google Maps interface, which is awesome, super handy. And we kind of did something similar. I mean, we weren't like, we were just trying to get to Vermont. So we wanted to take a little bit of time, but we weren't just driving kind of anywhere we wanted to go. We had kind of a route planned. And we kind of did something similar where we pulled something up on a map and we thought it was cool enough we would stop, kind of plot some points. But I didn't know anything about Compendium or anything like that. Uh, I think... Jamie has kind of grown up around the the camping and the outdoor scene with her mom being a ranger. And so she's uh, got her resources and finding that stuff. And so that's what I think we used just various. Um, uh, I didn't know that there were like different, I don't know how what to call them, like companies or organizations that have like, they have their own camping spots. So like there's a Koa one, I think it's called. I remember seeing signs for that. Yeah. KOA is, they've got hundreds of campsites. So I think like 450 campsites, US and Canada, something like that. But, um, yeah, we're members of them. They're, they're okay. I mean, it's not, they're typically like, I, I generally only stay at them when we're like by a city and right. there's one and, and it's convenient and cheap because I, I think there's a lot better wilderness kind of areas yeah. to go out and explore yeah. when you can. When you I can. think that was, but you can't. I think least. that was Jamie's uh, assessment of them as well. She kind of like said that, like that, you know, they're, they're for people that, like, you know, they have they have an RV or they have, like, uh, a tent attached to a truck and they want to go out for a weekend. They'd, you'd go to a KOA spot. Right. And KOAs are nice for us or, or even any any of those style kind of yeah. campgrounds or, or RV parks are, are nice for us when we want to, like, shower in the van instead of at a gym. We can actually have hookups and do that. And, and that's, like, then it then it's like a full house with, with normal water usage requirements. Right, yeah. Because we, we, we only have 27 gallons on board. For two people and two dogs. You know, I think so. Like that goes pretty. I quick. think one of my favorite trips we ever did for Octopus because we went a few places, and I think my favorite one, even though 
people were tending to like complain on this one, but that was, it was like the road trip where we got an RV and just kind of like camped along the way. Uh, and parts of it kind of, you know, like, like I said, people were complaining a little bit and it was just different. You know, it wasn't like, oh, we're going to go to this fancy house in Tahoe and, and chill in a pool. It was like, okay, we're going to go and drive camp, <laughs> you know? But I think like thinking back memory wise, I think those have some of the best memories. Uh, like learning how much of a, a hammock connoisseur Josiah is. He's like the expert. It was like working, it was like walking into an REI when he would open his backpack and he'd have like slack lines <laughs> and, uh, and uh, slack lines and, and um, hammocks. Like <laughs> I keep referencing that stupid scene from a goofy movie, but like when they pull the RV up and everything just flies out, like we get out of the RV in the van and then Josiah would be like in a hammock somewhere with this whole tree system set up, like this network. <laughs> Like, how did you do that? It's hilarious. But I don't know. It was, that was like some of the best memories, I think, as a company kind of like on off company time was um, being put in situations where like you're not completely comfortable. And, and, you know, I think that's good. You know, there are places where we went where we didn't have cell phone service and in places where we're like going on hikes and not everyone to go on a hike. And, but, you know, it was, it was fine and had an, and good memories after everything. That's the one thing I can't do is the no cell service. Like that just, it unsettles yeah. me. Even for like half an hour, I get, I just don't like it. Yeah. You messaged me, was it Thursday or Friday? And you're just like, oh, we just didn't have service for half an hour. I was like, I didn't even know anything was different. <laughs> yeah. It was incredibly, it was incredibly stressful. I was like, I was like, really, man, I need to get, I need to get back to the service. I need to know what's going on. I need to know, make sure there's not any bugs in production. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's nice having two people. Even Lindsay mentioned that we kind of have offset schedules and she kind of, uh, she doesn't expect it, obviously, but she's like, it's nice because there's always like someone's always around. One of us is always around uh, to talk or look at something or, or whatever, which, which is, which has been cool. But yeah, that's been yeah. nice so far. And we haven't like, uh, we haven't like tried to do that. It, it just kind of worked out that way, which is, which is really cool. Yeah. And it's nice that you're around in their afternoon because it's funny. It's like, I don't know. Timing is always just uncanny. So like, you'll yeah. know there's a bug existing, but no one's ever no one's ever stumbled upon it. But you know it's there, and but it's exist and it's existed for like a year and a half. And then as right? soon as you know that it's it exists, a long someone bug. will do like someone will hop across it. And you're just like, how in the world? Yeah. Every every, <laughs> every time. single time, man. Every and single it always time. happens. But yeah, afternoons do seem to be uh, a bit of a bit of a hot spot time for for design collective right now, which is kind of funny. But it's it's great that I can be around for that. And it always happens when I when I go to class. When I go to classes, when it always happens, and it always like stresses me out so much because I'm like, all right, everything's been good all day. I've got all this stuff done. I fixed these bugs. <laughs> you know, I wrote wrote these tests. I'm gonna head out to to train, and then I'll be in the car. 15 minutes later i'm in the freaking car and a notification pops up with a question or something and i'm just like every time or even worse like i've just done i just finished training and um i just finished getting beat up for an hour and a half and um I, i'm changing and i happen to glance and then at my you have phone to get beat up for an hour and a half yeah and then i see twist i'm like oh great <laughs> yeah yeah well thank I'm i'm glad that i've been able to uh alleviate that a little bit. I think that's bit. the most stressful part of my job that's is funny. is is um dealing with notifications. It's a, it's such not maybe it's not right to call it just like a, a stupid little thing, but like the stress that you get when you see a notification, it could it could be most of the time it's totally fine because we don't have a ton of bugs. We don't have lots of major issues, you know. But it's like seeing that notification pop up 
will cause a whole range of emotions. And a lot of times it's kind of useless to respond that way or, but your body just does it anyway. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess the, the answer to all this is that we just need to keep improving the software and eventually there will be less <laughs> notifications, right? Theoretically, Theoretically. yes, I think. Mm. We'll, we'll find out. I don't know. I mean, I spent this morning uh, at Starbucks and I was writing documentation. I was just writing and uh, was writing more tests. So I have a, a simple, I've been using simple note um, because sometimes I use a windows computer now and bear isn't cross platform. So I use simple note now. So I just have a simple note document titled design collective and I'll just dump ide- like thoughts in there. Like a lot of a lot of the things that I dump in there, I don't have it labeled as like insecurities, but I I dump insecurities I have about the site in, in that text file, and uh, I'll just be like, I'm worried that this might happen, or I don't think that we're doing this well enough, or I think we need to change our approach for this, and so it's like a document full of like uh, things I'm scared of or things that I think should change, and and I don't know, it's interesting. But I was doing that this morning, so. I was, I was just kind of feeling out some of those and then I was like, all right, well, let me, you know, some of these can be fixed by just writing about it and explaining the, pro- explaining the fr- flow in, you know, we're still using GitHub's wiki feature. Um, but for example, I had some stuff about like the orders and how our orders are split up. And I don't think that besides my brain, I had written anywhere like how specifically everything is split up and how things work. For example, like how line items or product orders are basically caching values at a certain point in time. And after a checkout is completed, those never change or they should never change uh, because that's, that's what the order was, <laughs> was a collection of, of order shipments and product orders. Right. Um, so just like describing that stuff uh, and explaining like why um, this is this way. And I keep thinking like, okay, well I can copy and paste a lot of this and just put it in the module doc for each module, like DK orders or DK cart, um, et cetera. But it's also nice just to have it somewhere away from the code that you can kind of look at it. Well, that's something we've talked about a little bit in the past too, is actually someday getting that documentation into the code itself, because then we can actually generate nice files that are readable to non-devs that have, you know, human explanations yeah. of, of what these things are. Yeah, yeah. Which would be cool, but I, I mean, I think that's that's really... Uh, like you're saying, it is. It can be kind of nice to have a separate spot to to think about these things. Um, it's so like the code, the documentation in line with the code is great because it explains to you things within that context. So if you're looking at the ni- the namespace or the module orders, you might have like so if you look at Ecto source code, there's it's like a ten to one ratio of documentation to code. So the documentation will be like two hundred lines, and there'll be like five functions in the mo- in the module. Um, and that's, that's cool, it, but but I think, like like you're saying, sometimes it's nice to have it separate. I think it, it, what that means is sometimes uh, it's nice to have that split away from the usage and split away from the technical side of things and more and have more. It's not like a philosophical explanation, but it's more of like a procedural explanation. Separate from the nitty gritty details, it's more of like a, okay, well, if you don't know to look in DK dot orders dot product order or whatever here's you know here's the overview of how it works right it's, it's more of a description of like the system as a whole yeah. and not maybe why individual how individual pieces of the code mm. work or why they're made to be that way yeah that, that that totally makes sense and i think you're also working on that with um with, with just all of our features generally you, you've got this whole google docs oh, initiative yeah. that you're working on initiative is right with <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's a bit of an undertaking, right? It's a hard. It, you, but what you're trying to do is say, okay, here's 
here's how this this system works. Here's how we came to deciding that it works in that way. Here's why person X gets Y discount on Z day or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, just like we we had this discussion at this time, and and here's why we decided this, and here's what else we considered, and 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 really like a, like a, you're you're calling like functional specs. I think yeah, right? functional specs. And and I think that's going to be super super helpful because a lot of the discussions that we have internally right now are are about that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Are about like oh hey wh- why why does this thing work this way? Is that this doesn't seem right? It's like well that was discussed or maybe it wasn't discussed. Like but but having having like that source of truth. Everything yeah. is everything is about having sources of truth. Yes yes the source of truth is big. I think I think. Um... Especially for this, having a source of truth is huge because we're all, we are remote, and so a lot of the meetings happen they're text based communications, and so it's really easy to have um, miscommunications happen in a text based medium. Like they maybe said this, but they meant something else totally, which is something that happened recently, where you know we're working on a filter or a feature and building it out, and and then someone will have a question and be like, "Why does this work this way?" And I'm like, "Well, this, you know." to quote here here are the original specifications for the feature and they're like oh well what i meant was this you know so there's a few issues there like well number one that's not what you said um that's maybe not their fault you know because there's you know people are busy and people are working on stuff and people have varying uh degrees of technical experience but having like having a central document where if we're talking about a feature and it's not just kind of like in chat messages or threads but it's in like a more formalized format uh, like a functional spec, we can point to this thing and say, okay, here's what you said to me. Here's how I understood it. Does this make sense to you? And I think the whole step that we missed was here's the how I understood it part. Sure. And I, it's really important to to like not look at this as the, as pointing to it in a I told you so kind of way, but like a, hey, but in the future, before we, before we actually build these features out, we can write these documents. Mm-hmm. And then before writing any code, hand it off to everybody and say, hey, here's this full description of of our understanding of what this feature should be and what everyone wants out of this feature and how it should work. Does this make sense? And then if people sign off on that and later on there's some sort of, you know, misunderstanding or disagreement about something, then you then you have that thing that everybody has reviewed and you can go back to that and find out what the right answer is. Not to say I was right and you were wrong or you, you were right and I was wrong or whatever, but just to find out what the actual truth of the matter is. Right. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really crucial to to have that that resource. Yeah, and ideally it'd be cool, to, like you said, to have most of that in the code and documentation. But there's there's just the whole disconnect between like the developers and and project managers working closely with that versus everyone else that works on the platform, whether they're selling, whether they're providing uh, support to customers, whether they're selling to stores, you know. Um, there's just that, you know, I feel like the functional specs are almost more for them than they are for us. Like, obviously, we need to know in in and out how every feature works. And we mostly do because we built them and the tests help us, you know, confirm that. But having it in a sort of plain English in a place where they can look like the non-technical people uh, helps a lot. So we have it like split up into different sections because I'd never really written any before. I'd obviously like communicate with people and outlined features, but never like a formal document. So I have it split up into different sections. Um, there's, there's like, you know, the gist, what is the gist of this thing? What is, you know, what is in short, what is this thing for? What does it do? 
Um, what are the business requirements? Like what, at minimum, what does this thing need to do? Um, and then we have uh, user stories. Okay. So just like, what are a few examples of how a user might interact with this or how it might inter- interact with, um, or how it might affect a user? And then after that, just like additional comments and implementation details. So um, just specific things to the implementation, maybe like where like magic numbers might come from or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then at the end, it's just like uh, everyone that, in, everyone that was involved in planning it just initials it when they're okay for this thing to go into production or when they're, when they're okay for it to go into development. So that way we know, Hey, you initialed it on this day. That meant that you understood it as it was written. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, you know, that being the source of truth, I think it's, it's funny because like, I'll ask people on Twitter, like, Hey, how did your company do this? And I get so many different responses. <laughs> like we don't to, uh, Oh, it's all in Jira or it's all in different cards in Trello or whatever. Um, which I thought was interesting, but for us, it's just a folder. Right. And, and even, even within it's all in Jira or it's all in Trello, there's a dozen different methodologies to use each one, probably dozens of oh, different sure, methodologies yeah. to use each one of those individual platforms too. So it's like that, that's not even, that doesn't even tell you anything. This, this is one of those things that, that I feel like is a really big part of your company identity Yeah, is, is how you handle planning projects and how you handle these sorts of specifications and like, like determining what something is and what it has to do and where that lives. Yeah. Like that, that's a really, that's a weirdly big deal. Um, Not something that you you might think about when you're first getting into tech especially <laughs> yeah. is is it like how much time are you going to spend on on like translation between the between the actual application code that does the thing and then the people who who on the business side need the application code to do the mm-hmm. thing like you're right there in the middle translating between the computers and the humans and that's a big part of this job yeah yeah, it is. And it's interesting because now a lot of the, the, I mentioned those articles that I read about CTOs makes a lot of sense because people were like arguing back and forth. When does it make sense for a CTO to stop coding? Uh, and I didn't like, you know, I didn't really, they didn't really say what they would be doing instead of coding if they weren't coding anymore. <laughs> they just said that you shouldn't be coding. Like, okay, what do I do then? What is, what's important for me to be doing? Okay, well, this is one of those things. That's kind of, that's kind of like saying, well, that's kind of like saying, how how much college should a person go right. to? It's like, well, that's really that is highly situationally dependent. Sure, yeah, yeah. So, like, in my long term plan is to have. Uh, I talked to, I think it was friend of the show, Andrew. Um, I think he was the one mentioned it. So he was pitching to his company, like, hey, why don't we use uh, a static site builder to build out a doc site? So that way, all the, everything is kept in Markdown, which is the it's the greatest text format anyway let's all be honest um he was like let's just do it all in markdown and make a static site and that way you, it can be searchable it can be easily updated easily deployed it's all in one spot you know that's that's you don't have multiple versions of documents floating around and all that stuff it's just the site is it's like the site is the currently living uh functional specification <laughs> and um he said that people were just like nah I don't want to do that. Don't want to invest in that. Or like people were giving various reasons, but that was, that'd be, I thought that was a really cool idea. So like, there's so many different things you could use, whether it's Nuxt, whether it's Jekyll, whether I think there's even one called MK docs and Markdown docs. It even has like themes that you can use. They're built and geared for, uh, documentation sites for searching and all that stuff. Um, so that's my long-term goal is to like, first of all, after we, after, cause I have a, I have my own Trello that nobody, it's not shared with anybody. It's my private space. And, uh, I just have cards there and on my checklist, I think I'm halfway through writing functional specs. And so I would like to, once I get more time, 
build a static site that's kind of at a private URL and say, this is where it's at. If we need to make changes, it's a whole thing. And I kind of like the idea of if you need to make changes to it, you have to go through like a whole build process and you have to go through like a whole deploy process because that means that you really need to change it. Like there's a real reason. It's not just like a document you could make an amendment to in about two seconds. Right. But yeah. Yeah. That, that I That's interesting because you were mentioning the stores and like people working with this platform needing to be able to access this sort of data, like basically a knowledge base, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's going to become more and more important. And at writing writing these things out with that in mind, I think might not be a terrible idea. Exactly. Uh, so eventually, we can have we can have a private version of the, of whatever this whatever this looks like in the future. We could have some private version of it that is for us for our internal consumption, and then also something that gets generated maybe from a subset of that that is ex- exposed to stores selling on the platform or whoever else needs access to know these sorts of things that just explain like how the features work. Like mm-hmm. what does this website do? Because we're, we're quickly getting to the point where we've got enough stuff to the, to where you, it just can't all be explained <laughs> yeah. on the page. It's yeah. like, there's a lot of different features. There's a lot of different things, you know, in order to effectively use the system. Yeah. 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 I mean, we use intercom and intercom has a knowledge base thing and I've added some stuff to it, but I'm the only one that's added stuff to it. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's like the figuring out, okay, like, obviously there needs to be one specific to us. There needs to be one that's able, you know, that we can share because who nobody wants to write all that stuff out every time. And that's what's inter- nice about Intercom is that if you use their knowledge base feature, you can, as you're typing a message, you can use keywords to basically find the articles and you can just click it and it'll send it to the person, you know, so you can share, you can basically answer questions via sharing articles very quickly. Uh, which would be, I think, would be nice to our, you know, the people that are handling that that stuff. But it's just interesting, and it's like one of those weeks where I learned about a new facet of my job that I should be doing, or someone should be doing at least, you know, probably me. Um, yeah, it's just I don't know, it's interesting, but it's it's also interesting, like feeling like everyone else has everything figured out. Like, oh yeah, this is obvious. You should have functional specs for everything, but. As I ask on Twitter, it's pretty obvious that it's not obvious and not a lot of people do that stuff. I don't think anybody has anything figured out, <laughs> even a little bit. Yeah, I'm learning that more and more. It's funny because all these insecurities about like being a CTO are insecurities that a lot of other people have at the same time. And everybody's making it up as they right. go through life. Like in not not just with regard to careers, just literally all of everything. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's been it's been an interesting week for sure. But that's I do I might have to share that document with you sometime. Like the, my my doc my insecurity, uh, my insecurity um, bag. I don't know how it would make you feel, <laughs> but anxious. anxious. It makes me feel anxious just knowing I have it there. But that means that like you know it makes me do something about it, which is nice. And uh, it's you know it's I think everyone has one of those. Everyone should have one of those because if you don't have one, then maybe you're not looking at close enough at things. Or you're just an amazing developer, which everyone knows that that those are very few and far in between. Well, my desk broke last night because you know RV life, so I, I need to fix my desk, man. <laughs> oh, oh, we had we actually before before I let you fix your desk, we did I did tweet just before the show. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's yeah. right. We had a thing, Sarah. Cut that, Sarah. Cut that out. Um, <laughs> Sarah. Uh, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, so we did have a, a Twitter question, which. I should probably just ask before each time we record a show because I don't do that. I'm hardly ever on our Twitter. I should probably pay more attention to it. But we did have a question 
uh, from our friend Tim Arney. And I've been following him for a while because he does some cool stuff. He, he made a really cool re- uh, uh, React. I think it's react.faq. That's not the exact domain, but it's something like that. And he did a great job with it. But I tweeted, does, does anyone have any questions or anything we want, anything they want us to talk about? And he asked about uh, pattern matching. He says, we've been raving about it all the time. We kind of have. But he wants to know more about um, like why it's useful and maybe some specific cases and in, in how we've found it useful. Uh, that, that site is reactfac.site. Yes. <laughs> Reactfaq.site. <laughs> that's awesome. We'll have a link to show yeah, too. Yeah, but, um, yeah. So that's what he was asking was just like, hey, what's the big deal with pattern matching? Because we've been talking about it a lot. And I think we've given like, I think maybe the only actual example we've given was a state machine thing from last episode. Yeah, that, that was a big one for me. Uh, I, I, we based, so to, as, a, as a recap there, it, you can basically make a really simple state machine by pattern matching on the, the first argument, which is a struct that you want to change the state of. So in, in our case, it was like an order basically um, and moving it to different shipment states. And so we, we just pass the thing in in the first part and and pattern match against what what status it was and then you would pass the status you wanted to move it to and since that was all embedded in the function definition it just it that's the only way it could be called you couldn't like get into a weird state somehow it would only ever run if it was in a valid state to come from and go to so it really really simple i think elegant way to to handle that sort of thing so that was like a really powerful use of pattern matching for me as a newcomer to a I've been trying to think of an analogy uh, to, to kind of explain how how it's you like how I've been using it I think how a lot of people use it and it might be a silly analogy but think like okay so think about you have um, you have a hot dog in your hand and this hot dog has mustard and some onions okay so you're walking down the street and you want to go into you want to go to the gym and you have this hot dog so you're finishing a hot dog on the way to the gym you need protein and you go to the first store and the first store is like we only accept hot dogs if it has ketchup and mustard okay let me go to the second door the second door only accepts hot dogs if it has uh ketchup uh but no onions and so you get to the third door and that's the one that says, oh, you've got the hot dog that matches the one we want. It's got mustard and onions on it. Come on in. And so in this case, like a hot dog would be a struct or an object, I guess. And when you go, when you call a function and you pass the function, the hot dog, you look at what the hot dog has in it. And so based off of the function signature, you can say, okay, this needs to have a hot dog, but the hot dog needs to make sure that it has only mustard and onions on it. So if it doesn't have onions on it, then don't match here and do nothing, basically. So essentially, uh, I guess it makes more sense if you if you think about using pattern matching when you have functions. I can't remember the technical term for Elixir, but when you, you basically have functions that have the same name, they just accept different arguments. Um, and in this case, the different arguments can be the same data structure. You're just looking to see the various uh, states or various keys in the data structure and making sure that they match what you want. And, and kind of the kind of the end result of all this stuff, like what you actually get out of it, or, or at least a big part of what you get out of it, is methods that are a lot... Or methods, man, yeah. I, it's such a bad <laughs> habit. Functions, functions, yeah. these are functions, Sean. Functions that are much more concise and much, much easier to read and maintain because they only deal with one specific case. Yeah. They only deal with one concern, that's it. And that, that means they're they're easier yeah easier easier to test easier to maintain easier to write easier to reason about later, 
and a very it's very clear just by looking at the function definition exactly what it deals with if you just if you just have if you just have like a a function that says change state and then you pass in a, a, some some sort of order you you pass in an order and a new state but you don't check what the current state of the order is then you're you're going to get you're going to have this function that is going to have to either call out to other functions to do what it needs to do, like have kind of sub functions like uh, change state. If order state equals this, then change state to from this to that. It, it just it just quickly becomes a, a, a just real pain and messy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, like you said, it removes all the like it removes most need for conditionals. So when you have a function, you can see that the body only handles one thing, and that's that's kind of the I mean functional way. You having pure functions where the function has an input and it does one thing, uh, and it has an output. I think what's uh, single responsibility. Like so, people people talk about that in OO world in like classes, like a class or a method that should have like a single responsibility. You should do one thing and and not do two things or three things because that can be confusing and hard to track down. And so with pattern matching, you can have uh, a function that essentially uh, is split up into four uses, but you don't actually have to do any if else or cases in the body because you know that if this this function matched, then it has exactly what you needed to have. Uh, so basically you kind of unfold one function with is and else and conditionals into four that do very, very specific things. So it makes testing them easy because, um, you know exactly how something would match. So you can test it that way. You can, you, um, you can, uh, test each case in isolation without, with with knowing that you don't have to worry like, oh, did this accidentally did this branch accidentally um, execute or something like that? It just makes things easier. I think it makes especially complicated things a lot easier. Yeah, it it it's just a really nice, convenient way to split stuff up more in, in a way that, at least for me, very quickly made sense. Uh, it, it was a little bit it was a little bit weird coming to it, but it's it's kind of just like it. It's not exactly like method overloading in C sharp, but it it kind of has some of the same benefits. Um. So if if folks are familiar with that, then maybe that'll kind of help give you a sense of of how this can be useful. But but man, it, it's fantastic. It's just it just feels really nice to use day to day. I just I feel like the code I write is is just easier to look at and easier to think about. Yeah, and take it a step further. If you if you throw if you match pattern matching with uh, guard clauses in Elixir, you hit the sweet spot. Yeah, so I still haven't I still haven't come across a case where I was like this seems like a really good use for a guard clause. Um but they're they're definitely like when I see them it's like, oh yeah, that that makes sense. I like mm. that, but I, I don't know, I haven't really gotten to write any. Uh the the um I'll have to maybe I'll throw a gist up for the 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 show notes here to give some examples. Um but a good example of using pattern matching and guard clauses would be our product presenter module. Uh, the augment function, uh, there's just one function or two functions, augment and augment in. And based off of what you said, it, what you send it is which one gets called. So it'll check, am I getting a list in the first position? Am I getting a struct in the first position? Um, so it pattern matches off of that, but it also uses when is list, when is map um, to, to have like additional level of flexibility, I guess you could say, because basically the, the the product presenter module what it does is it adds 
and we got, I think we've talked about this at some point, but we, it, it just adds like virtual fields. Briefly, yeah, yeah. It, it adds virtual fields. So when you pass in a product and you pass in a user, there's various information that is, that is there that's specific to that user in that instance. So the product presenter module is in, is in charge of basically taking the product and a user, figuring out all what needs to be added and adding it. But what ha- it just so happens that we can pass it a list of products. We can pass it an, an individual product. We can even pass it like a store that has a list of products. And we can pass it, uh, you could, I'm trying to think like, you, it basically infinitely, infinite levels deep you can pass. You can say, okay, here's my parent data structure. Here's how you get to where the products are. Uh, decorate the products. And, and that is built using pattern matching and um, uh, guard clauses. And, and that's, that's like kind of a, another great example of being able to have more functions that each do less stuff. Yes. Um, because it's it's essentially it's just removing those conditionals from the actual function body, and and pulling it out into the function definition. Right. It's pretty pretty amazing stuff. Man, it looks pretty cool. amazing stuff. Yeah, it's such a simple idea, but man, that is it's it really is game changing in your day to day programming. I mean, yeah, I've, I I went looking for ways to do this thing, and basically, a lot of people ended up adding. There's like libraries out there that people do where they add this the virtual field stuff to their schemas, which I don't I don't know that that, that belongs in the data persistence area. I think it's then you're kind of just making a model file because now you have uh, your state and other things, or you have your 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 data mapping and plus other things that modify those those items. So I don't know that it belongs there, but the fact that we have one module and it has like two actually two functions i mean there's more functions in it but we just have two function names it's just augment and augment in and you could infinitely traverse a document structure or a data structure and augment what you know augment the list or the single item in there it's just it's so nice to use because you when you're actually consuming it there's just one or two functions it's just like okay am i augmenting one or augmenting many am i augmenting this thing do i have a product now or is a product buried in here that's it that's a fantastic point um, because basically the advantage of that as the consumer of the API is that there's just a way smaller API surface area. Right. You don't need to memorize all the different all the different function names to deal with different types of things. You just have this one thing that figures it out internally. And so that's that's just a much nicer and, and easier mm-hmm. thing to consume. Yeah, I don't think there's any if-elses in the whole module. There might be one, maybe one, but that doesn't have anything to do with the arguments being passed in is just if there's a sale price, then do this. <laughs> uh, and it, I occasionally use an if statement, but rarely, uh, never an yeah, else. I would, yeah, I don't think I have. As, uh, they're they're just kind of not needed, and you end up with so much stuff is just way less nested. Yeah, and I think I even removed that stuff because I ended up making a pricing module, and the pricing module just has functions for calculating prices. So. It's all just in one place and tested in, in one place. Feels feels good. But yeah, I'll get a gist together. I'll put something up, um, share some code and have you guys have you guys look at it. I'm excited to see when this lands. I think that proposal that I mentioned last episode was accepted, if I remember correctly. Uh so uh I assume that a Babel plugin will be coming out in a hot minute. Oh, the, you're talking about the the, the JavaScript. Yeah. The ECMAScript proposal okay. yeah, for pattern matching. Um, I don't know like what that actually looks like in terms of being able to use it. I don't, I don't, I'm not that deeply nested in the internals of all that stuff. I just write view components. Basically. That's all I know about JavaScript anymore. 
It's so true, man. That's interesting. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll dig into that. Would you be opposed to, if I just added that? No. I would not mm, be opposed. Might have to do that. All right. Well, I'll talk to All you right, later, man. See you. I'm going to go do that. <laughs> All right, see you.